Hello from Cyberry and Delinea, and welcome to the show. If you've been enjoying the Cyberry podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cyberry.it. From all of us at Cyberry and Delinea, thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of 401 Access Tonight. I'm your host, Joseph Carson. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm really excited about today's episode. Um, this guy I've been kind of watching and learning from for many years, and it's so awesome to have him on the show today. So uh, welcome, Stoke. Um, it's awesome. So amazing to meet you, and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Wow, thanks. That, that, that was a good introduction, though. <laughs> You've been learning from me for years. Absolutely. I like that. Thank you. Uh, hi, my name is Fredrik Alexandersson, but most people know me by my hacker handle, Stuck. And um, I'm a hacker creative. I've been working in the IT industry for the last 25 years. I got way too much time invested in troubleshooting and uh, securing Active Directory. And I started to move into the offensive realm on a professional level back in 2014 and been heavily invested into the bug bounty space and that community. So yeah, fun times. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things is, that, you know, how, how did you get into it? What was the transition? What, what, what were you doing before? Kind of what was kind of your dedication focus? Um, and then kind of how did you transition more into kind of bug bounties and into the offensive side of things? What was that transition sure. like? Absolutely. I mean, I started like most geeks do, getting into <laughs> interested into computers and dabbling <laughs> and poking at stuff and whatever, and that turned into a profession. <laughs> and and uh, I think I I started this industry in early uh, the nineteen mid nineteen nineties, early nineteen nineties, and uh, started you know at a company where I was building computers. Like mm. back in the days, there was the, all these uh, Asus motherboards and uh, AMD processors and everything. Mm. And, and you, were, you were building computers and installing Windows on them and whatever. And, and I, that, that kind of led me down the whole path of being like a troubleshooter, solving things for yeah. people. Because I realized I had a knack for that, learning things mm. extremely fast and then were able to troubleshoot shit. And eventually when you're in the situation where you're at that stage, you get curious, more curious, yeah. like, okay, then NT4 came out, like, and, and then suddenly it were Windows and Workgroups and all these other mm -hmm. things started happening. And I started getting to, interested into the enterprise kind of game and been using Windows ever since. And mm -hmm. being the call guy, I, I work, mm -hmm. I've been working as a consultant most of my life. Mm -hmm. and, and at the stage... I was the guy you would call when you need to troubleshoot something. You yeah. need to figure something out. Like systems down, nothing's working. It's like DNS again. And you go there <laughs> and you eventually solve it, right? And uh, and you will also the one that would be the advisor when new things are being added mm -hmm. to, to project and such. So, and I realized I was so good at identifying things that were broken or misconfigurations that eventually mm -hmm. that turned into my offensive side because mm -hmm. I knew where sysadmins cheated. I know where consultants <laughs> were, were lax about things. And that made it easier for me to help organizations securing them. Mm -hmm. And somewhere around, uh, I was at DEFCON in 2017. Mm -hmm. And that's when... And uh, that's when uh, bounties came on my radar. Like, 
this yeah. cool event by a company called Hacker One, where a bunch of hackers and my friends were uh, sitting there and hacking these companies. And I'm like, wow, can you do that? And like, yeah, we get mad paid too. So mm-hmm. uh, we're having a good time. I social engineer myself into the bar and uh, it was always interested in getting free <laughs> drinks. I wasn't ever hacking. I wanted to take photos and have a good time mm-hmm. and hang out with my friends. But it was really interesting. I'm like, wow, I want to do that. I went by and uh, in, in 2018, I decided to start to dabble with it and I, I really never left. It's a great hobby. It is. And that's, that's, the, that's the, always a challenge is that when it becomes, when it comes, you know, because I'm, I'm the same, very similar background. Um, and, it, you know, I, I struggle the difference between doing work and my hobby. And, you know, and, and it's great, actually, it's, it's really great when your hobby becomes your work and that's what you get paid to do. Uh, because it allows you kind of to really enjoy, you know, every day and the activities you do and you continue learning. There's always things, of course, there's a portion of your job that becomes, you know, that you have to do the administrative side of things. Um, that's always there. Uh, but when the majority of it is, you know, having fun, it really makes a big difference in your life. And I think one of the things that when you mentioned around 2017, when you talk about bug bounties starting then, because I remember even before then, it was all about vulnerability disclosures. Because uh, we had a we had a, a session a long time ago, one of our early episodes with uh, CJ and Katie, and we talked about vulnerability disclosures. And this is what, what I really enjoyed was the difference between when bug bounties started to come much more, and organizations start providing a legal means of getting paid to actually find vulnerabilities and and disclose them accordingly, versus vulnerability disclosures, which meant that you find them beforehand. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the difference between some of those and, uh, you know, what types of kind of bug bounties do organizations kind of offer versus the more vulnerability disclosure path? First off, I'm, I'm not an expert in this field. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a user of the systems. So, uh, and the opinions that I have reflect my own and none else, right? And, sure. and I'll, I'll say that there's different ways of doing this. And if if you have an organization and you want to make sure that, you know, you have a safe way f- to people to report findings mm-hmm. to you, you can have a vulnerable disclosure program where people can have a way to submit uh, things to you. Maybe, usually that's a security at kind of email where someone yeah. sends in or an abuse or something. Uh, but maybe you want, may, maybe you realize that that email box is getting flooded. You can't deal with all the things that are coming in. So you reach out to some of the organizations that deal with that. That's... Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say the three biggest ones are HackerOne, BugCrowd, and Integrity. And you'll get some kind of deal with them where they will take care of your inbox, so to say, and triage the things to verify that the findings are valid or not. And if they uh, are valid, they'll pass it on to your team and you can can solve it and you'll have some Mm -hmm. tracking and stuff. There's different ways to do this. So it's either then you have... Somebody can just report things to you, or you can have a private program where you will mm-hmm. invite certain researchers to be a part of your organizations. And then you can have a defined set of, say, scope. Maybe you want yeah. um, mobile.youraplication.com to be mm-hmm. the one that people are looking at. And if they look at that, they will get paid if they find bugs. And you will define like a payment model from low mm-hmm. to critical or to exceptional or whatever, or P1 to P5. And that's the, that's the range of what you're willing to pay mm-hmm. for findings, right? And then it's the public one where anyone can just look that you have a public program, you can submit things. Mm-hmm. I personally only, this is the thing, bug bounties mm-hmm. is my hobby. It's, I, I've done it full time for fun and mm-hmm. to see if it worked out. 
but it was very lonely for me. And I love working with people. So I, <laughs> and I want to be able to, you know, have sick days and do all that mm-hmm. other stuff that's, that's good for a person like me um, and my family. But if you're in a situation where you, you, you want to poke at stuff and mm-hmm. I usually want to get paid for my time. That's how it works. Yeah. I know it's a hobby. Yeah, you shouldn't really get paid to <laughs> investing and learning things. But I tend to do. Mm-hmm. I love the whole idea of me being able to, let's say if I have a, one of my favorite applications, for instance, mm-hmm. or an e-commerce site or something, when I'm buying stuff there anyway, and I have the possibility to, you know, sneak in a little mm-hmm. bit of a secret injection there and just, or maybe sign up for another user and see if I can access my own payment uh, details. I'm allowed to do that. And if I mm-hmm. find one ability, I have the chance to send that in and Earn everything from $50 to, I, I think it's like $50,000 now on mm-hmm. the cap levels. And yeah. if you're into crypto, those guys pay mad money. So, yeah. hey, blockchain things with three <laughs> more money. Yeah. No, that's that's really cool. It's, I think that's a, it's a great approach that is, you know, for taking it, getting the balance and also kind of going after the things that, you know, you enjoy doing and making sure that. You know, if you're doing day-to-day stuff, is is overlapping it with you know basically checking to see if you can actually go and look at the the source code of the web page and see if you can do SQL injections or see if you can do IDORs or um, you know cross site uh, script forgery stuff like that. so. Really looking and seeing what possibilities are as you're actually just doing it you know day-to-day and the, the sites and and if they have bug bounties, uh, even better. So, right. Um, one of the things as as well, I would link it. I one of the things is I love creativity and content i love basically all the different setups and uh, you know i invest a lot here in my own lab um one of the things i've really enjoyed is your creativity and the setup that you have and when you're sharing a lot of it uh for me i think that that goes into a lot is when you when you invest in in the the creativity side of things because that's what there's many of us are users and there's others who are creators and i think you know what you set up is, is can you tell us a little bit about your setup and kind of how it works and uh, what's important for you you, we're talking about this. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, okay, cool. So I understand what kind of setup we're talking about. Yeah, um, this is, um, for me, I wanted to be able to have a space where mm-hmm. I had the possibility to uh, create content or share things that I found interesting. Because mm-hmm. that's all what it is for me. It's if I find something and I nerd into that, I want to be able to leave some kind of legacy. I'm okay at writing blog posts. Mm. I'm semi-okay at doing write-ups, but I'm really good at communicating and I love talking. I love the sound of my voice. (laughs) See how that sounds, right? But the thing is that I need to talk to think. That's Mm kind of how how my brain works. I work best when I talk and I communicate. And it's always better if I wanted to, if I want to educate you on something, if I'm really invested in the subject, and I'm able to explain it to you in a simple way, then I fully understand it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just me throwing weird words around and looking cool. <laughs> so I wanted to find a way to do that. And I wanted right. to have a space where I could go and just with a flick of a button, go from uh, go, go from an, nothing to, to, a, to a fully ready situation where I wanted mm-hmm. to just press record and go. That was my yeah. main goal. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. One way, easy production. I didn't want to move things around. 
and I wanted to have a basic setup. So what I have here is uh, I have a basic DSLR camera that's mm-hmm. connected to a lot of fancy stuff and a lot of uh, and, and uh, soundboards and things, so I can route my traffic and I can mm-hmm. add on things and. <laughs> You know, I can add yeah, stuff to whatever I want to do. <laughs> the collapse sort of. Yep, absolutely. And and I wanted it to be a way where I seamlessly just can record straight from mm-hmm. my camera, straight into my hard drive, edit it directly, just push it out if I felt like it. No mm-hmm. more taking out the memory card, syncing audio and that kind of stuff. Yep. So simplicity was my game. Uh, and I was lucky enough to uh, purchase this place, uh, which is in downtown Gothenburg, where, mm-hmm. uh, where I live, um, and have that as a studio. And have a creative space where I go and I get into that mood and I do stuff. So mm-hmm. basically that's what it is. And Bounty kind of paid for this. So thank you, Bounty. Um, and now I have a creative workspace. So that's what oh, I That's awesome because I, I, I had the same thing. I, I used to, I mean, I used to have an office and I used to work from home for a long time. Mm-hmm. And what I needed was, was a space where it was all ready to go. And, you know, what you said is about automation side of things. Absolutely. It's so critical to have something. And for me, it, you know, if I was to reverse the camera, what I see in front of me is just crazy. You know, we've got, you know, several monitors, several workstations, lights, and I just something that kind of really makes it so simple to set up and so simple, just kind of, it's a plug and play and you're ready mm-hmm. to go. And it's for that makes a big difference. And also investing in the audio quality as well. Um, the one thing I haven't really done here is that because this is an old Soviet building, um, is the lighting side. Um, mm. So that's one kind of I've always been looking at is the lighting. So I was watching your video on the lighting side. I think you were using the Philips Hue bulbs uh, for the, yeah. the background lights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and it's really cool because I think, you know, getting that kind of uh, ambience is so important depending on what type of work you're doing. So, so absolutely. It's easy to, I mean, that is a simple step stone into getting good lighting. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course you would like to have the aperture extra everything with yeah. all the movie set lights where they don't even rela- react to whatever kind of shutter speed you're using. Uh, this is dialed into uh, 25 frames per second, 50 mm-hmm. hertz uh, with a shutter of one, uh, one through 50. Because that's my setup. That's what I like. And, and, um, and, and then I need to tune the, audio, the lights to that so I don't get rolling shutters or flickering and that or other annoying stuff. It's very easy that that happens. With extra low budget lights, that's going to happen for you. And if you dim mm-hmm. it down, that's the reason what's going to happen as well. So I wanted something that would work okay for me, but mm-hmm. would be not super expensive. But, you know, most bang for the buck. So Philips U lights works okay. Yeah, no, I, th- I think they, they, they function wise, they, they do enough for what, what's needed. Um, and they yeah. create that environment, they create that atmosphere in order to do the creativity. And absolutely, I, <laughs> when you're talking about speaking and talking, for me, I end up, I've got a whiteboard back here. And when I, when I, the whiteboard, that's me, you know, you give me a whiteboard marker and a whiteboard and just yeah. let me dump my brain in that thing. That's where I just get creative. It's just nonstop. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, I this do that is where my iPad and pen yeah. all the time, all the time. I still I a bit more. retro, old school. <laughs> so even the whiteboard. Um, but for me, you it just carry it that just, with you, though. I uh, don't. Yeah, I don't carry it with me. I usually, someone I end up going to pen and paper sometimes. Even I'm always, I'm always sitting with a pen and writing, you know, my thoughts down. And it's Lovely. the way to stay creative and just keep your memory going. Because at my age, my memory is starting to fade a little bit. You know, <laughs> so so just putting things down allows me to keep keep kind of going back to the things that I, I need to go back to and and be creative and take notes. So so absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I, it's, for me, it's it's talking and 
and it's sharing and, and getting that uh, feedback from others, you know, surrounding yourself. Because I'm, I'm a very social person also. And surrounding myself, I always try to surround myself with very smart people who make sure that they challenge me into my thought process. Mm. So it is so. Um, one thing I was, I was just interested about some of the platforms I've seen the likes of Ipsec and Naham going off and starting to do things like Twitch. Uh, what mm. platforms are you starting to use for your inclusion? I think you're still primarily doing YouTube. Um, I'm primarily only yeah. doing YouTube. Only that, doing YouTube. Uh, so. Got mad respect for everyone that mm. likes to diversify and do things over at Twitch. I mm. don't have an audience on Twitch. So yeah. I rather. You know, if I want to do something live, I, I have a live show on Thursdays, mm-hmm. every, uh, not yeah. every Thursday, Bounty, every Bounty other Thursdays, Thursday, yeah. Bounty Thursdays, and yeah. I do that live now. I used to do it like five to 10 minute shows every week mm-hmm. uh, and just getting the nuggets out. Now we do it in another format where we have more like the classic radio calling show where people yeah. can call in on Twitter spaces and we'll broadcast live at the same time over at YouTube. Mm-hmm. So I use Twitter heavily and I use YouTube. Yeah. Those are the two platforms that I use. Uh, some I, I did dabble with some Twitch in mm-hmm. the beginning but I'm not in the mood to be sitting in front of four to five people talking about whatever yeah. my kind of day is. I rather just go on a YouTube and do something more. The big difference is also that on YouTube, um, you need to pr- provide more of a production value. That, yeah. That's kind of how it works. On, on Twitch, you can just do whatever you sit there and you communicate mm-hmm. with your chat and have that community. I have mad respect for that. But I want to be a way that I can create content that's long term and that people can go back to and find over yeah. over time. That's easy I mean, accessible as well because Twitch provides a, it's a bit more challenging, um, you know, going through all the hoops and the subscriptions and the kind of it, it's a little bit harder to kind of get more people because you cannot have to lure them in. Uh, but yep. YouTube is a little bit more easier to find content and search For sure. you know. So absolutely. Um, question also, kind of one of the things I, I enjoy is that, you know, sometimes on, on Twitter, you share a lot of your kind of personal downtime side of things. And mm-hmm. this is always, I think, in our industry, there's a lot of challenges in things like burnouts, stress. Um, people really kind of, you know, sometimes you can get stuck in things for day, hours and days at a time. What's the mm-hmm. th- what, what way do you find balance between that? How do you make sure that you get enough, you know, of life and, you know, living life versus getting stuck in technology? I never stop learning and my mm-hmm. brain usually never rests. Those are two things that uh, I have to accept and deal with. I got HDD, mm-hmm. so my brain <laughs> is just wired that way. That's how mm-hmm. it is. It's always curious. I need yeah. to learn new things. And I like to learn into about 60% and then I get bored of them and move on to the next one. That's how my life works. I accept that. So what what I need to do is that I need to find things that keep me interested. Mm -hmm. And that can't just be one thing. If I end up in a mundane situation doing the same thing over and over again, I'll get bored. And I need to diversify my mental streams. Mm -hmm. So I do... That's why I'm I'm working at this great consultancy company. I mm-hmm. do YouTube videos. I uh, I have a fashion company. I have so a sustainable your, your fashion glasses, store. The glasses you're wearing are part of the, the fashion, isn't it? So. Yeah, yeah. I create, I create, I design stuff. I do a lot of things because that's where I soothe mm-hmm. myself. I need to go from one thing to another. Otherwise, I'll get bored and burn out. And when I'm saying burnout, it's yeah. in the sense of me getting bored to the extent mm-hmm. where I can't do it anymore. I'm like, I, I just can't do this. 
And the, and, and, and I see when that happens and I start mm-hmm. to get into that state because it's way different than one that you're, when you are depressed and you can't uh, yeah. get up in the morning and you're sick and you, because that's another thing. What I'm talking about is this boredom kind of burnout where mm-hmm. you're, you don't feel like doing it anymore. Uh, it can be that you work too many hours. It can be that you invested too much time in a project. It'd be something else. So what I do is that I try to do things uh, in, in sets or mm-hmm. I need... Um, it started back in the days in somewhere around um, 2012, I think, where I decided that I wanted to work full time for an employer for three days a week because I didn't like the balance of me working five days getting two. I thought that was an unfair. <laughs> it is unfair. Uh, it's like, okay, so you're going to have 65 years of my life. You're going to take four. I'm going to get two. That's a bad equation. I want to do it differently. I'm going to give you and society and whatever three days four days are mine. And so I, I adapted my life according to that principle. And uh, of course it turned into, I'm work seven days a week because I do a lot of different projects and I do a lot, a lot of different things. But having that mindset of just scheduling downtime, I have time scheduled that I don't work. I go outside, I do things, I... I, I in, in Sweden, friend. the typical you know countryside, <laughs> it's yeah. the, the summer summer days and going getting out in the fresh air and getting out into nature. Um, because here, here in Estonia, it's very similar. It, it's you mm-hmm. know I think culture wise in, in Sweden, Finland, Estonia have I mean, very I can similar. Throw a stone at you, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Where I'm you know, saying. And it's very, I mean, it's the same as you need to have that downtime. And even, you know, I sometimes hear, I complain in the summertime when I go into the forest to chop wood mm-hmm. and I complain about it. But at the same time, after I finished, I've enjoyed it because mm-hmm. it allows you to switch your mind off from the things that, you know, in our work in, in this industry, you can be so in kind of your mind is so focused that mm-hmm. it's hard to shut off. It's hard to switch off from thinking about, you know, the SQL injections, thinking about vulnerabilities, thinking about the latest, you know, log4j or spring4j, whatever it is, mm-hmm. your mind can get stuck and nonstop thinking about it and you need ways to switch it off. Yeah. And for me, going into nature, getting a, an axe and chopping some wood and stacking it allows mm-hmm. you to do that. Um, so and it's, it gives it's a great you physical way. satisfaction as well. I mean, Absolutely. I'm a nerd. I got T-Rex arms. Those are yeah. tiny, <laughs> but I chop a lot of wood and, and it helps yeah. me to exercise my body. And it's like you said, it cleanses the mind. And yeah. when you do that, um, it, this, there is this thing called shower moments. Let's say mm-hmm. that you've been hacking or something or you've been pondering a project for a while and then you just let it go and you do something else and you're standing in the shower and then the ha moment comes when you're like, <laughs> damn, yes, ah. And you, you go to the computer and you're like, and there it is and you, you solve it. Yeah. So do you, do you mean, one of the things that, you know, since we're both creators all the time and we're always thinking about kind of, you know, projects and, and activities mm-hmm. and so forth, do you get in the situation when you get some, you know, you know, writer's block type of thing, when you get into content, you're like, oh, you know, I don't know how to progress it. How, how, what, what do you deal, how do you deal with that scenario? I do the work. You do the work. That's how it works. Because there's, okay. if you listen to people like uh, yeah. Seth, Seth Godin and really, really yeah. smart marketing people, you know, he, he wrote, I don't know how many blog posts every day he did that. Or you can look, look at creators mm. like Ipsec that smashes out a huge amount, amount of <laughs> epic videos, right? And he do that over it's and over unbelievable again. unbelievable how much he does. When, so. Yeah. When I enter that state, you know, both those guys have something called a routine. Mm-hmm. They just say, sit down and do the work. And when, I, when I'm starting to enter that state, when I feel like, nah, I don't feel like doing it. Mm-hmm. If you skip it once, 
it's like if you go into I don't know if you start let's say you start running in the mornings right you get up in the morning you're you put the first thing you do when you wake up is that you put on a kettle with your morning coffee you're prepping that maybe you do a bit of french press you're prepping mm-hmm. that shit and say okay when I get home I'm gonna have that put on your running shoes and you run for 20 minutes you mm-hmm. do that every day for, I don't know, 21 days. Because it usually takes 21 days to create a new habit. Mm-hmm. The 22nd, 23rd days, it's like natural. It's part of your routine. Like you wake up, you brush your teeth, you eat food, you do that kind of stuff. Yep. But when you get sick and you're not doing it for a while, then, you know, you're not doing it. And then you wake up in the morning and you're feeling good. You know, you're not sick mm-hmm. anymore. Like, uh, maybe I should go running. You're like, nah, nah, not today. <laughs> and then, nah, not tomorrow either. And then the, that hill of you being well, able to do it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until you just decide that, screw you, brain. I'm going to do my things for me, which means I'm going to yeah. do the work. I'm going to run and I'm going to do it now. And you do it yeah. and then you back into it again. Yeah. It's all about committing. Yeah, and getting into the, the habits. I mean, ultimately, I, one of the books I loved is Atomic Habits was a great book into really, sure. you know, how to do it on small scale and, and really mm-hmm. phase it. I mean, for even myself, I'm, you know, recently recovering from uh, COVID and I do a lot of sports. I mean, I'm always basically playing football uh, yeah. multiple times a week. Mm-hmm. And the first time getting back, oh, my body was just telling me, you know, <laughs> enough. <laughs> you need to you need exactly. to slow down. But you, you kind of... It's important to kind of progress it, you know, giving giving enough time and, and getting back into it. Uh, so absolutely right. It's, it's getting into that habit and routine, and it's the same way. I mean, I'm always always laughing because even when I'm you know going through and doing some of the capture the flag side of things, you know, I I have when I'm doing capture the flag or I'm doing some type of pen testing, I have the same habit that I have with playing chess. I'm such an aggressive, noisy. I, I like I start flying things all at the same time. So I'm just like you know, running like multiple scripts. So, and, you know, I'm a very noisy pen tester. Um, when I'm doing it in engagements, sometimes I kind of step back a bit and, and do things more manually. Um, but you're, you're absolutely right. You get into those routines. And and just like when you're getting, a, you know, a bug point, you're going to go through, um, if you're doing web application testing, you're going to kind of go through and you're going to go through your routine habits that you're kind of used to and that are, you know, mostly for, you, you'll get results out of it, taking those steps. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I guess, you know, kind of get, getting your life in balance, you know, just like you have the steps and processes and make sure that, you know, as you, sometimes you keep failing in something, you might tweak it a little bit until you get a better result. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the whole thing. Life is about failing. Mm-hmm. If you haven't realized yet, then <laughs> it's time to start realizing that right now. Because if we always try to succeed continuously, mm-hmm. we're going to set ourselves down for failure. But we, yeah. uh, but we have accept the concept about, okay, I'm just going to experiment with it, see where this goes. And then <laughs> if you succeed with it, it's cool. And if you didn't, yeah. you learned something. And you can try it the other way around. And, and I went through my whole life just being too hard on myself mm-hmm. in a way where I wanted to be the best at the things that I did. I want to learn the fastest. I want to do whatever. And I realized that that's not really what life is about. For me, life is about learning new things and having fun. And then yep. if I'm good at it, I want to share that experience with others. That's so, my life. So that means that you so reminds me, one of, one of the things that crossing point in my career was, and this goes back years, this goes back to like 2002. Um, I was working for, and, and I, was, I'm, I, was, I was a perfectionist. 
I'm literally, I will always look for perfection. And I was working on a project and it was, uh, it always reminds me, it was the GRC.com DDoS attack. Can you ever look at Steve Gibson's D, uh, yeah, yeah, GRC.com yeah. DDoS kind of paper? So mm -hmm. I was, the company I was working for was a second victim. I was working on the project as well into kind of how to defend against DDoS attacks. Yeah. And as I was going through that project, I wasn't sharing with anyone. I was keeping it a secret. I was keeping it hidden. You know, and I, I wanted it, when I released it and made it available, it had to be perfect. There had yeah. to be no errors. It had to be 100% amazing. <laughs> it was like, you know, waiting for the Mona Lisa type of, you know, art, you know, that we produced. And my boss at the time said, hey, Joe, you know, that's not how you're going to be successful. And my, my boss at the time is Brian Honan, who's kind of well-known, you know, in the security industry now. And he's amazing. He's always been my mentor since. And he said to me, you know, in order to make it perfect, you have to share it. You have to get other people's feedback. And that changed. That was a moment in my career that changed me where I actually realized that in order for it to get perfect, I had to involve other people. I have yeah. to involve the people around me, the social sphere who can provide, you know, because I might, you know, as your point, I might not be the expert in that specific area, but I can get somebody who knows much more about it than me in order to provide that input. And it really made me realize that the most important thing is, is when you're doing that is to, to surround yourself with people. You know, I'm not an expert in everything. There's certain things I'm good at, but I'm not an expert in everything. But knowing who that person to go to is mm. so critical to get their input. And I think that's such an, such critical in order to make sure that we are able to, you know, get validation, to improve, to learn. Um, and also, you know, this industry is very much a community industry. It's not, you, yes. you know, your point, you can't do things solo. I mean, I've struggled, you know, I, I don't know about yourself, you know, being based in, in Gothenburg, is that when you're away from the heart of the hacking community, you're so far away. Um, and there's so few of you around in that area that, you know, it's it going to events and staying social online and, and activities. And that's one of the things that, you know, I, I really enjoy about the podcast because it allows part of that social interaction as well. Um, how do how do you I mean how do you stay socially you know being based in Gothenburg is there a big hacking community there uh, I know in Sweden there is quite you know quite a few you know uh, well known um, uh, in the industry there but how do you stay connected with everyone how do you stay how do you keep the learning process uh, Let's see here first off yeah it's uh, I I don't have any local hacking friends. Mm -hmm. It's not that I sit face to face with someone mm -hmm. and hack into stuff. That doesn't happen. I'm blessed to be working at a company with a lot of smart hackers. So mm -hmm. every other week I meet those people right in Stockholm. But uh, other than that, the easiest way for me community uh, communicate with people. And mm -hmm. the thing that I do, most of my friends are hacking friends from around the world that I met yeah. doing bug bounties. Right? I I was blessed enough to be able to to travel. I think it's like 13 live hacking events around the world. Mm -hmm. And you travel to these places and you end up with 30 to 40 other people that has been yeah. invited to hack there. And you spend a week together, more or less. You, you know, you're starting having breakfast with people and you interact mm -hmm. and there's social happenings. I'm a social creature, so I thrive in those situations. <laughs> so for me, being able to just hang out mm -hmm. with people, everything from just having a nice breakfast to popping a beer, we're just hacking and comparing stuff and having conversations uh, was something that I loved mm -hmm. doing. So I was really depressed when that scene stopped due to COVID. Yeah. But so, so, so when COVID happened, I realized that I needed to find a way to just stay connected with people. People, 
I do Zoom calls with people. I text people on 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 iMessage or or WhatsApp or I I do uh, Telegrams or Signal, whatever you know, whatever platform you're having, and I talk to people. I I hang out in Slacks. I usually don't do Discord because I'm old as fuck, and you know, Discord <laughs> isn't my thing, and I think it's too noisy. Uh, but I love to just talk to people yeah. and like this. Like I yeah. I get on calls with people. It's like hey hey come. How are you doing? Let's talk yeah. for a few minutes. And then just being, I'm pretty active on social media. And mm-hmm. uh, and that's where I have a lot of people that I found and I find interesting projects and I collaborate with people as a creator. Mm-hmm. That's how I, I think it's the myself. best way, you know, especially when you're, when you're in the industry and you're in an area where yeah. There's few other uh, that's in the same industry, uh, so it's always difficult. So, but one of the one of the videos of one of the sessions you did that I always remember was with Tom Num Num. Yeah. Um, was that was a fun one because for me, you know, that's <laughs> what's on in a in a hotel bar. Yeah, in the, the hotel morning. bar yeah. and. Watching that session and just, you know, even um, I learned so much, even just piping to tea um, yeah. was something that I hadn't done before. I was like, oh, that's curious. That's interesting. And even watching him. Uh, for a bend. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so those little things, you know, can, can enhance, you know, your learning and knowledge so much. So, mm-hmm. um, but you mentioned you doing a lot of the bug bunnies and traveling to events. What's some of your favorite events to, to go and socialize at? Um, you know, what's, I think I watched recently, you were talking about Nullcom coming back again, um, yeah. which is really cool. Big fan. Um, so I've never, I've never been myself. I, you know, I've always been to the more you know, traditional big trade shows, but what's some of the niche ones or some of the ones that you, you love going to? Ah, <sighs> Besides Las Vegas, I like oh, that. Yeah, at the same. Uh, uh, usually, it's the same time as uh, RSA. Usually, it's kind of either usually the weekend no, before. It's, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, it's, it's, I, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's besides San Francisco then, but besides okay. Las Vegas, it's during DefCon. It's it's a part of uh, Hacker Summer Camp. Yep. So uh, I love that. And uh, then again, you know, going to to DefCon, of course. Yep. I really don't like Vegas. It's <laughs> It's hard to say that because I understand the whole idea about it, and I and, and it's easy to be mm-hmm. uh, swooned by the whole experience yeah. of being in this huge town. But it's extremely draining, and if you're yeah. in there five days or, or seven days hacking with massive jet lag, it usually mm-hmm. you know uh, it drains me uh, emotionally, and yeah. <laughs> and that city is designed to do that. So um, and then again. So I would say my favorite things in 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 hearing in Sweden, absolutely security fest here in Gothenburg. Mm-hmm. Pretty biased because it's my home time, right? And then <laughs> it's it's like in Stockholm, I love that too. Um, I never been to CCC, but I would love to go. Uh, okay. I would love to go to Disobey. I've never been either. Disobey, uh, that's in Helsinki. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's. It was kind of, you know, it's usually in January. Um, so maybe, maybe sometime when it's, I think it was back in person this year. So hopefully uh, I'll get to go myself as well at some yeah. point. So I, I do remember one there. I, it's, it's on my thing that I need to do. Yeah. Uh, I think it was Jason, Jason Street was when he was over last. I think he was doing Disobey and he was basically um, taking pictures of, you know, Helsinki. And I think we passed cross paths at it. But um, it was that, yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool. So hopefully at some point I'll get to go. It's, it's just crossed the water for me. <laughs> so. Yeah. And, and, but I would say uh, also like Nalcon, like 
why do I like these conferences and, and besides Ahmedabad, like the mm. super, super tiny conference in the northern part of India. I was blessed to be there mm. and just hang out with people. And then you're talking with the ones that are, they are deeply into to mm. bounties. They're into to hacking and it, it's a thriving community where you, you can see the passion mm-hmm. in, in people's eyes and, you don't really see that at RSA. Yeah. And it, it, so it's, I love these smaller community ones where the, where the bubble is, where you're, you, you're pushing uh, arms with somebody else or, or you know, oh. you're breaking bread <laughs> over your laptop, <laughs> sharing ideas and, and just having cool things. Um, the bounty space is a bit different than the CTF mm-hmm. space, the research space, because it's... Uh, of course, th- there's money involved. So, so I had this conversation with Ipsec the other day mm-hmm. and he thinks the community is toxic. And I have to agree, it is to somewhat because as soon as you add money into the yeah. into the pot, there's always going to be this kind of huddle thing. Like, why would I share my secrets? And to be fair, if you, have, mm-hmm. if you had a money-making machine that made you, I don't know, everything from two grants to 20 yeah. grants every month, why would you share that with someone else and then risk uh, have, getting duplicates on that and not getting any pay, get paid any yeah. money? So, of course, there's this holding back. I understand that. But that does, that's a tiny speck of it all. Mm-hmm. The rest of it is, and most people that I know about do this, not all, not all do it full time, but some people like you and I, we probably yeah. like, okay, so instead of you doing this capture the flag or doing this hack the box, I have mad respect for you you guys that do that, I don't because I rather invest time in a, in a bounty program that I know pay well. And mm-hmm. if I'm going to, if I want to learn something, I want to learn the developers, development cycles. I want to know how they push code. I want to know how yeah. they think. I want to have their newsletter, know about new features. I want to engage with that because if I'm invested in that, I'm going to be way better at breaking down their stuff than yeah. somebody that just but does a flyover and, having, and gets content back. Having that product lifecycle development background and knowledge is so critical mm-hmm. to knowing, to thinking about how the system's created in the background that you don't see. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of, you know, a lot of people spend the time going into, you know, doing a lot of the academies, a lot of the, the you know, kind of um, trying to break down the front door without mm-hmm. knowing how things are configured in the background. So one of the things that, you know, I said, even in my lab here, I go and try to set, I try to set it up myself to understand about how it's working in the background and understand yeah. how the configurations and then try to understand about how those default configurations might be, because that might be where the mis- mistakes are made if people don't right. do them correctly. So going through and understanding about how those defaults are, what the credentials are, um, how to deploy, um, and then trying to see what it would be like in the background in that development cycle. And if you get into that knowledge, then it allows you to actually, when you're looking at that front door, it might reveal the secrets that allows you to get in. Um, rather than, you know, I think most people will, will try to brute force, you know, and basically use a lot of automation, use a lot of scans without really understanding. I think that's one of the great things, you know, I think people like Ipsec go through and explain it in its entirety, you know, explain how it's working in the background. 
um, and the multiple paths you could take. I think that's a big difference. So having well, it can. It's yeah. vulnerable boxes. You, yep. We really can't do that. You know, even if I wanted to do <laughs> a full walkthrough or live hack mm-hmm. a target, I can't. Because what happens if I leak something during that live stream, or if I leak yep. something information there, I would be breaching some kind of agreement. And yeah. that's not possible. Yeah. And that's the thing is a lot of, you know, for me, I think I first got in, you know, stuck in a lot of, I was back in 2007, 2008 when I was doing a lot of, uh, it was instant response type of things um, I was getting involved into um, when companies became breached. And of course, you know, going through, yeah. or it was to do with zero day vulnerabilities. And you start looking at the past process. Mm-hmm. I end up getting a lot of NDA processes. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the challenges. And, and one, of, one of my favorite events I like going to is um, here in Estonia, we have an event which is called the Symposium, which is all okay. about basically, it's, it's all the certs from around the world who come together. And it's basically under you know, Chatham House rules, meaning that you can go in and you can talk about things uh, without it being made publicly available. And that's when you really get to hear the real stories about what happened, how things happened, you know, the successes and the failures. And mm-hmm. I think for me, that's something that, you know, one is that I think we as an industry lose from that because these strict NDAs prevent us from sharing. Mm. Um, I know that, you know, some of the ones I was under, you know, was, was five and 10 years long, which meant yeah. that, you know, the, what was the value of releasing it 10 years later? So mm. I don't know if you're, you know, I mean, what's, what's your experience with things where, you know, restrictions and limitations, especially um, when you find things that, you know, are significant and could impact large amounts of people? Well, as- you, you kind of need to understand that as soon as you send something into a bounty program, it's under some sort of agreement mm-hmm. and you can't really communicate about it. So there's always, the, if you get paid, yep. by your silence uh, <laughs> in, in, in a way. So unless they are very open on disclosing mm-hmm. that, um, HackerOne per se, their self are default to disclosure, which is yep. cool. And I think Shopify does that too. They're mm-hmm. very prone on just, you know, disclosing the things because that gives people the possibility to understand how things work and do better. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a good way to do it. Um, but most of, you know, if, if you're entering a, a competition mm-hmm. or, or if you're invited to a specific kind of uh, uh, bug bounty program, usually you have to sign some kind of code of conduct or NDA where yeah. say that you would not talk about this customer but it's normal. I mean, that's yeah. what we do all the time. I work in, in cyber, right? I do, yeah. the company and I work, we, we do amazing incident response. Mm-hmm. And we do all these super cool cyber red teams, like 13th mm-hmm. base red teams on banks and shit. We can't talk about anything of it. Because <laughs> you're on strict NDA. Strict and NDAs, even though you find yeah. cool stuff you want to talk at a conference, you can't. Yep. And that's always the challenge. It's always... You know, and I think it's one of the things in our industry that if we were able to, to uh, even white label a lot of things, you know, without yeah. disclosing it about who, where, when, whatever, and I think we were getting the ability to share more, I think we can le- other companies can learn how to not become victims. Um, mm. And I think we need to find a way to better, you know, have better intelligence sharing um, anonymously, where you know, where you can have some type of agreement. So I think because the NDAs I've seen are, are very kind of, let's say, you know, you can't talk about anything. Um, no. But I think there had to be a bit more flexibility because, as I mentioned, that, that event that I go to, which is talking about the successes and failures, that's where you mm-hmm. learn so much from. Um, yeah. Even though you can't disclose, it's a show happens, and tell kind of. It's a show and tell. Right? Yeah, it's it's you. You get to hear and see the exact steps, and therefore, 
while when you leave it, you can actually go and check those another you know indicators of compromise. You can go check the different things. But and your brain just wow, new patterns. Exactly. <laughs> never so, thought about that. Interesting. And then you'll start down this trail yeah. of maybe we have more events like that that kind of allow those types of things. But uh, I think you know one of the things is transparency and sharing is so critical in our industry and collaborating. Yeah. So love to um, see that more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what, are, what what tools do you enjoy using? What's what's some of your favorite tools that you have? Uh, that's kind of your go to uh, tools. It depends on what we're talking about. When yeah. We're talking about hacking. I would say uh, primarily some kind of browser mm-hmm. and a proxy. Uh, in my proxy of choice is Burp, and yeah. I use that every day, uh, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I do. When it comes to me running uh, VPSs and such, mm-hmm. I, pr- I rely heavily on, on BidMe's or Prize Axiom okay. to, to spin up uh, virtual instance droplets mm-hmm. in DigitalOcean that I do automation stuff from. I love everything that Project Discovery puts out, more or less. Like okay. they, if they put something out, it's going to be great. I like HTTPX. I love that. DNSX. Yeah. Uh, I love a mass. Uh, mm-hmm. I love, uh, um, I love nuclei uh, and I love writing nuclei templates that are custom for me. Uh, there's so many ways to create automation mm-hmm. and find stuff through, through um, uh, using tools. Uh, I love sed and I love grip. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say those are those are my go-to things. And I'm a nano user. Blame blame it on no, me. I'm so, so so I'm you know <laughs> I'm the same. You know my my my, my So what I typically will go to is usually it's either VS Codium or something something like you know from a programming perspective. And then yeah. if that doesn't work, then I work my way back to Nano. And then if you know Nano doesn't exist, then I go back to Veeam. And my last resort is VI. That's always yeah. the last one I go to. That's uh, what I throw the computer out of the window and says, this is not <laughs> able to exit. I can't shut this off. So I unplug the cables and throw it out. That's usually because how it's that. There's so many issues, when, especially when you're through a shell. That if you, you know, if you don't have the right basically scaling columns and, and rows set, it can just yeah. destroy it. Um, yeah. And I always find that, you know, Nano, you can probably be, be okay because it will auto kind of scaling. But then when you get yeah. into Vim and then VI, you can basically eat yourself in a bit of a pickle where you can't get out of it. <laughs> yep. and, and none of the keystrokes will work and you end up having to find out, well, okay, you end up having to create another shell. So, yep. But I'm, I'm the same. I'll go backwards until my last resort is then I will go through and try to, you know, get a proper shell. Uh, before I touch BI, otherwise I can get stuck in there. Um, That's perfect. What question though? When, when you're using Burp Suite, um, what's yeah. your kind of? Uh, do you prefer to use the in in browser uh, Burp's browser, or do you kind yeah. of go? Okay, I, I find it much easier rather than having to go and set up you know Burp uh, proxy and have redirects and you know configure the ports because I end up having two browsers running side by side. I'm yeah. using the built-in browser because it automatically proxies back through Burp, um, mm-hmm. and it also allows me to keep the traffic separate. As yep. well, I'm doing some searching. It's going directly, and while I'm being funneled through the proxy cell. So. No, I I'm knew that. Curious. I mean, yeah. I have. Um, I prim- I'm I'm one of those Firefox users. That's mm. that's the driver that I like to use. But yeah. when I'm doing hacking, I prefer uh, Chrome Dev Tools. So mm. I'm using that for for certain things. So for yeah, absolutely. I I use the 
I used internal um, Chromium based mm -hmm. in, in Burp because it's easy to set up and I use multiple profiles, especially if I do uh, do some auth integration or IDOR testing. Uh, then I heavily rely on, on tools that do that for me. I, I'm not patient enough to do it manually anymore, mm -hmm. so I'll, I'll do authorize or, or, or similar like uh, maybe, you know, um, autoresponder uh, auto or certain mm -hmm. things that I want to change or push in. So I'll do that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. I, and I love the repeater. I love Intruder. I'm, I'm, I'm an Intruder kind of guy. Most people aren't. And I love Turbo Intruder for, for doing mm -hmm. race conditions and massive lists. Um, no, it's it's my go-to tool. Yeah, I think you know for you know definitely it, it's mine too as well. I think for most of us, we kind of prefer it's it's the proven. It works, um, and there's so much flexibility. Even doing decoding, you know, mm. within Burp Suite is fantastic yeah. because you can do that. You know, I know a lot of people kind of go into Chef and, and do it that way, but when you can do it right in Burp, why why you know why copy paste out? You know, it's you know. Unless you're going to do multiple encodings and decodings, um, it gets a bit more complex. So you have things that's in Chef that's not in Burp. Um, mm. But most most places I can find, I can get it. You know, either when I'm doing base sixty four or whether it be URL encoding, you can do it right within the browser. So, so mm. absolutely. So, question: What you know for anyone who's listening to the show, what would you what what's your recommendations about people if they're going down this path and getting into bug bounties? Maybe they're coming from a support background. Maybe they're just you know at university and thinking about going down this path, what's some of the best starting places? What do you recommend? Because there's a lot of, uh, let's say, there's a lot of platforms out there. Um, where would you recommend people getting started? I would say the best currently and the free one mm -hmm. should be uh, uh, the creator of Burbs, Port Swiggers, uh, Web Education mm -hmm. Academy. It, it's free and it's very easy to yeah. use. Uh, and it will give you a, a good insight to the OWASP top 10, more or less. With labs that you can go through. Then there's, um, there's, you have Pinterest lab, you have Hacked Box, you have Try Hack Me, you got all these have specific labs or academy mm -hmm. parts where you can learn things. But I didn't do any of those. And I'm, <laughs> I, when, when I hadn't used Burp at all, I, mm -hmm. I, maybe I dabbled with it with some early, um, uh, the pre um, the predecessor to mm -hmm. to Kali, right? And yeah. uh, and I dabbled around with it a bit, but it wasn't really my main thing. I didn't know why because I was into you know wireless hacking and doing mm -hmm. other stuff. Then, um, but when I started using Burp, I realized that I just had to get used to the momentum of seeing handshakes happening between mm -hmm. websites and what they were calling and how things were working. Like, oh shit, you enter this page and 45 right. different JavaScripts loaded. Why did that happen? I didn't see that. And then you, you'll see all these responses getting back and you're starting to play around with the traffic. And I would suggest anyone do that. Like, Turn off all the active things in Burp and just passively observe stuff. Mm -hmm. Maybe even install some plugins that would, uh, like Burp Bounty or something, mm -hmm. that would use these known word lists to find identifications. You can use a plugin called Hunt by mm -hmm. Jason Haddix and, mm -hmm. and similar people that will look for parameters that would look shady in theory and then would be a good injection point for you. Say, okay, this is SQLI potential or this mm -hmm. is a could be an overread direct and such. 
And then you just walk websites, like take the normal website you use every day, the one that you're buying your food from or whatever, and look at the traffic. And you can see, what, oh, okay, so apparently I, I have ID 465789. And so what happens? Some if I, sequence. Yeah, if, if right. I put a seven afterwards. <laughs> what happens? And then, oh, why did I get the cart of my neighbor? Yeah. Weird. And then, you know, you'll start with thinking about what's happening because you yeah. need to get into the hacker's mindset. And the hacker's mindset is driven by curiosity. Absolutely. What happens if I do this? Yeah. If I oh. change this one thing, what, what yes. happens if, you know, um, even, even just, I, I always enjoy looking through the cookies and just seeing exactly what, what is the sure. setting? What value is it putting in there? Is it something that is basically just a raw text or is it actually some type of, you know, encrypting, um, you know, base uh, 64s, URL encoding, whatever it is, and trying to understand about why did it do that? If I change <laughs> it, what happens? Um, yep. And I think even even when I was going through uh, Nahum's uh, uh, new Udemy course is pretty good as well, because uh, yeah. he actually did a pretty good kind of walk through into understanding all of the top, you know, and, and for the, I think Udemy, you know, some, some of the courses are quite reasonably priced for, for most people when there's discounts mm. on. Uh, yeah. But for me, I think it was the OWASP juice shop was the one yeah. that kind of I enjoyed doing. Um, and you're absolutely right. You know, you can go to OWASP top 10 and they'll have the academy there and they'll walk you through each step, you know, kind of give people the lessons and it is, you know, it is very, very educational because it does tell you, you know, here's the misconfiguration, here's what went wrong and here's how you can fix it as well. So um, absolutely. I think it's great, great advice. But then again, seeing is believing. People mm. usually ask, "When okay, so I'll be doing all these labs. I'll be doing all mm. that stuff. I mean, if you can, if you've gone through all the Portsmouth Academy mm. labs without hints, yep. Go get go get some bounties. You're well then over. You're going to find. You're, you're, definitely, you're going to be successful if you went through yes, them without actually. Do getting not tips. worry. You got <laughs> this because if you've gone through all that, then then you've shown the curiosity and the willingness yeah. to learn. So I would say that's about it. Like starting doing that, but the the biggest hurdle is probably for people just to get started. Get yeah. started. And it's just, just getting that. It's just getting, <laughs> yeah, just go and start it. Try it and give it a go. So it is absolutely. Maybe I think people, you. you know, you don't want to go down that path that I said earlier, the perfectionist. You don't want to go down that path. You know, if you find something that you're good at and that, you know, just kind of go and start in that area. You don't have to be good at everything. Just basically find some things that you're curious about that you kind of can take the next step and just go and get started, dive right in. Because if you wait for that perfectionist, it will never happen. Because <laughs> by the time you get to that point, you've already increased your perfectionist bar and you're basically mm-hmm. going to keep moving and moving that bar up and up until you never get started. So you're absolutely right. And I think once you, once you kind of, if you're going through that Porsche rigor and you get to a few of them, even, even just go ahead and get started and test yourself. Yeah. Do one. Have fun. Yeah. I've got a question for you, a follow up question on that, though. Sure. How do you become a good photographer? <laughs> a good photographer? So, okay, me and my wife are always having this debate. So for me, I think we're two very different types because I, I love photography. Photography is something I enjoy you know, getting out to. I, I invest a lot in cameras. For me, I think there's two different aspects of things. There's those who can get the frame initially. I'm a person, I take pictures and then I do a lot of post-editing. Mm-hmm. So I say that I'm a good technologist <laughs> and not a great photographer. One, someone who's a great photographer can take a picture that requires the least amount of editing afterwards. I think that's when you start kind of getting somebody who who knows the frame to take, 
mm-hmm. and requires little editing afterwards, I think that's when you get to good, good photographer. So me and my wife, so for me, I'm great at technology. I'm great at post editing. Um, I know how to handle a camera. I can, you know, my frames are not the greatest, but uh, my wife, absolutely. She gets the frame spot on and we'll have to do minimal edits to that picture afterwards, if even. So I think that's where photographer, um, where you start knowing the difference between somebody who's great with technology and somebody who's great at photography. I agree. But the first step to becoming a good photographer is to pick up a camera. Yeah, that's actually, you use it. Because that's the thing. You need to go out and take pictures. You need to try to do it at dusk, in dawn, in daytime, in shadow, in clear light. light. You need to understand because that's going to be an extension of your eye, of your creativity. So the first step to be good at something is start doing it without any expectations, but for the fun of it. Then eventually you'll add more stuff as you go because you can spend hours and hours and hours looking at photography tutorials on YouTube and never pick up a camera. And you can know everything about shutter speeds in your head in the theory, but you're shitty at taking pictures. Yeah. So it's yep. easy to get stuck in theory. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's easy. You can't be a good photographer without having a camera in your hand. Exactly. And that's, how it is. that's why you need to pick yeah, up the camera right. and go out to take some shots. Yep. And that's, that's actually, I mean, when you, when you think about it, you're absolutely spot on. It's like, what's the point in being a good photographer if you don't have a camera in your hand? Um, is that, you know, the best photographer is somebody who's actually out taking pictures, irrespective of the result. <laughs> so it's been awesome having you on. I really enjoyed. And hopefully at some point, I mean, we're not too far away. So at some point, we'll, I'm pretty sure we'll cross paths. Um, if not, I'll see you probably at Def, DEFCON um, if everything goes to plan. Um, mm-hmm. you've been awesome and I think for the audience you're definitely going to learn a lot from this episode today um, at some point it'd be great to have you back on and uh, again my thanks any last words for the audience anything you would like to, to leave them with I would love to leave them with the concept of staying curious be yeah. curious about life be curious about everything that you encounter and realize that every person that you end up having a conversation to if you listen to what they're saying, there's a big thing you have. A big thing you have something to learn. That's very wise words. So Stoke, you've been awesome. Uh, many thanks for being on the show. Uh, for the audience, this is another episode of Four One Access tonight. We've had an awesome episode, very educational, a lot of great content. Um, again, subscribe every two weeks and definitely you know check out. I'll make sure that uh, all of the kind of ways to get in contact with Stoke will be in the show notes. So awesome, and thank you. Stay safe. Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybrary for Business by going to www.cybrary.it slash business. This podcast is also brought to you by Delinea. Dicotic and Centrify are now Delinea, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit delinea.com.